0: The last time I preached here was during COVID and I didn't have to go out back and meet people, which I was glad about that, because uh, it's not an accident that I've spent most of my life in libraries reading old books. Uh, I just don't really know how to talk to people, but I was instructed today that that's over and I have to go out back and meet people. I've had some crazy things said to me in the years that I've been here, out. Al- back, people, one time a person said to me, you have a great voice for deaf people. (laughs) And I, every once in a while, I go to uh, prison to teach, and I was talking about it one Sunday, and then on the way out, a guy said, so are you on parole? (laughs) And then, of course, it was like countless times people would say to me, You were okay, but when is Dr. Kennedy coming back? (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, I, I would have asked the same thing. But I come to you today to read to you from a passage of Scripture that is a difficult one, a very difficult one, and it's particularly in dealing with these difficult passages that I feel most inadequate. But I will pray that the Lord will bless His Word to you and that you will remember whatever I say that's right and forget whatever I say that's wrong. Let's turn to him now. Our Father, we are thankful today for all that you've done for us. We are thankful most for your son who is our savior. And we pray that you will bless the reading of your word. You will bless the songs that we have already Sung and heard, and you will bless all of us for your kingdom and for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Years ago, I was uh, up in West Palm at Good Samaritan Hospital, seeing a friend of mine who was ch- who had just his wife had just had a baby, and so I stopped by there after like going out fishing or something I just stopped by there to see him and so he and I were sitting out in the waiting room talking and this nurse rushes in from the other part of the the hospital and says I need a priest is anybody here a priest and so I said "Uh, I'm a I'm a minister and she just looked at me because like I had on a bigfoot shirt that might have been some of it and I had on my dress crocs and she just looked at me and then she turned around and said, I need a priest. Is anybody here a priest? The truth is we all, we all need a priest. And one of the problems today is that we have forgotten who the priest really is. And we today will read a passage of scripture that tells us about who that priest really is. Hebrews uses the term priest or high priest more than any other new testament book and in this latter part of this of the seventh chapter that we're going to read today you will see the word priest used more than in any other chapter of the book of hebrews so it's in this half of a chapter the word priest or priestly is used more than in any other chapter in hebrews and in in hebrews uses it more than any other book of the new testament so here we have the most significant teaching on priesthood in the new testament We all need a priest. And one of the problems that the Hebrews were having to address, the people to whom this letter was written, was that they were being encouraged to give up Christianity and come back toward Judaism. The reason they were being told is that Christianity can't really be true. And one of the reasons that they were told Christianity couldn't be true is because there's no priest. You remember in the Jewish system, there was a priest who went to the temple and he offered sacrifices on behalf of himself and the people. But with Christianity, there wasn't a temple. And they were told there wasn't a priest to offer sacrifices for them. And so they should give up that Christianity up. And yet the theme of the entire book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than whatever you can put in the blank. And in this passage today, we'll see that Jesus is the greatest and best high priest. Let's read the text together. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 20. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they, prevented by de- they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he opened up himself. The law appoints men in their weakness as as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful that you are our high priest. Bless these words to us now. It is in the name of our high priest we pray, amen. Everyone here today should realize that we all need a priest. The question is, what kind of a priest do we need? And the author of the Hebrews is telling us here that we need the best, the greatest, the only high priest. And he tells us in this passage why it is that Jesus is the best high priest ever. And I'd like for us to look at three reasons why Jesus is the best high priest ever. Three reasons drawn right out of this text of Hebrews. The first is that Jesus was sinless. You see that in verse 26 that we just read. It was indeed, it is, was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, and then it tells us about him. holy. Innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That is, this high priest was absolutely perfect, without sin whatsoever. Notice that sinfulness is not learned, but inherited. Nobody learns to be a sinner. If you have children, you know that. You don't teach them to sin. They just do it on their own. Uh, I'm reminded of this because now I have a granddaughter who's three, her name is Ella and she pretty much gets whatever she wants from me. She plays me pretty much like a cheap fiddle, just whatever she wants. You know, I'm, I'm a fiddle at an Arkansas hoedown, she can just do whatever she wants. So every Friday we go to, we go to a Chuck E. Cheese and one day we're driving there, she's in the back in her car seat and she said, hey Grump, that's what she calls me Grump, and probably rightly so. And She said, hey Grump, Grammy, that's my wife, Cindy, Grammy said, you're supposed to buy me an ice cream as soon as we get to Chuck E Cheese. Huh. I didn't hear anything about that. Well, she was very busy, so that's why she told me to tell you to buy me an ice cream as soon as we get there. I said, well, okay, let me just call her. No, no, don't call her. She's busy. You don't need to call her. Well, I bought her an ice cream, of course, and then we get home and Grammy hadn't said anything of the kind. And nobody teaches her that. She just does it on her own. We believe in Reformed theology and a doctrine called total depravity. It doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we possibly can be. It means that every part of our being has been infected by sin, that there's no good part of us. Nothing good. Anybody who doesn't believe in total depravity has never been a member of a church softball team. That's all I can tell you because it is it is wide open there. Total depravity is on public display. Sinfulness is is not something that we learn. It's something that we inherit, but sinfulness is not worked out we can't work off our sinfulness. It has to be paid for. You, you realize that the, all of the New Testament, but particularly Matthew, presents sinfulness as a debt. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, which comes from Matthew 6, we say forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're asking God to forgive us of a debt. And the metaphor is that every time that we sin, we're, we're piling up this pile of money that we owe God. And every time that we sin we owe God more and more and more and more money every time that we sin our debt gets higher and higher and we just can't pay it and so there's this problem that we have all of us have this gigantic debt that we owe God and we cannot be with God until that debt is paid but we don't have enough to pay it somebody else has to pay the debt and that somebody is our sinless high priest, that one who made that once and forever offering for us. The word better in, in, he, in the book of Hebrews occurs 23 times. It occurs more times than, than any other book of the New Testament. Better, better, better. And the vast majority of times it's telling us that Christ is a better this or a better that. And ultimately it's telling us that Christ is a better high priest. And yet nowhere in the Hebrew Bible, nowhere in the Hebrew line of priesthood does the priest offer himself. That's because he's not worthy. He has to offer offerings on on behalf of himself and on behalf of other people. Yet this priest, the better priest, the perfect priest, the sinless priest, he offered himself as the great offering to pay the debt for our sin first of all jesus is a great high priest because he's sinless but there's a second reason the second reason he's a great high priest is because he was sacrificial you notice this in verse 27 he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sin, and then for those of the people. Then he did it once and for all when he offered up himself. Realize that what the author is telling us here is that this one priest didn't need to offer offerings for himself. This one priest, though, came and offered offerings for all of us because we so desperately need it. His sacrifice was central. This is the last sacrifice. One of the great problems after about 70 AD was how does a Jewish person find forgiveness because the temple has been torn down. And there are those today who still talk about rebuilding the temple, the third temple. And we have to remind them that the third temple has already come, and it came in the in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. That he was the, both the temple and the priest. He was the one who gave to every one of us this sacrifice that was absolutely central, and it was absolutely superior. You notice in verse twenty-eight that there's there's a. a, a, a quotation, perhaps, depends upon your translation. But all through this passage, there are both quotations and allusions to Psalm 110. Here's a bit of trivia in case you ever need to know it. What part of the Old Testament is most quoted by the New Testament? You know, the the Hebrew Bible, it was written at one time in the Christian New Testament. It was written about 400 years after the end of the Hebrew Bible. And the New Testament, the Christian New Testament, quotes from the Hebrew Bible. What part of the Hebrew Bible is most quoted? It's Psalm 110. And there are lots of allusions and even quotations from Psalm 110 in this Hebrew 7 passage. And the reason that Psalm 110 is quoted so often is that it begins with the Lord said to my Lord. That's a strange thing. The Lord said to my Lord. And remember that these Jewish people got up every day and they said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Every night before they went to bed, they said the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And yet here in Psalm 110, the Lord Is talking to another Lord. How does that work? It works only through the revelation of the New Testament in showing us that both the Father was God, Jesus was God, and the Spirit was God. God is one, but He is manifested for us in three persons. The Trinity is that they are unique, all one in their godliness but they are separate in their personhood. And that's the reason that this passage is so often quoted. His sacrifice was superior. It was better than any other sacrifice in the history of the world. And his sacrifice was selfless. He didn't need to make this sacrifice. You see that there. He, the other high priests needed to make that sacrifice for themselves and for the other people. But Jesus didn't need to. But he came down, took on flesh of a man, and sacrificed himself in one of the most horrible forms of punishment in the world, the most horrible death in the world. He sacrificed himself and willingly gave that up. Not only was Jesus sinless, not only was he sacrificial, But his sacrifice also, or his priesthood, is ceaseless. That is, it never ends. All the other priests whom we read about in the Hebrew Bible, they serve for a while, then they die. And there have to be other priests. And Jesus is, is not that kind of a priest. He's the priest who never dies. You've probably been to other churches, and it's frequent in older churches, particularly in the South, to see uh, either photographs or paintings of former pastors. You know, it'll be like this guy was the pastor from 1830 to 1850, or whatever, and there'll be a, the painting of him. You'd be a little you'd be a little nervous if if you got there and the and the painting said this guy was the pastor from 1840 until the present you'd say I don't think I want to listen to a guy who's that old it's just that can't be good and yet that is the kind of sacrifice that Jesus made a sacrifice that never needed to be repeated his sacrifice was ceaseless it was not available through other priests because they died they died And yet Jesus makes his once and for all sacrifice and it never ends. It is the absolute perfect sacrifice because of the fact that it never ends. His sacrifice was ceaseless because it was only available through Christ. He was made perfect forever. The only person who could ever take that huge pile of debt that we have and pay it off is God. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus stands in front of that pile of debt before his father and he says, charge that to my account, I'll I'll pay for it. I'll, I'll be the one that takes care of it. That's what the great high priest does. And that's the reason that we all need a priest. Everyone who's here is in desperate need of a priest, not a priest from some other church not a priest from some other religion, but the best, the greatest, and the only priest, that is Jesus Christ. See, there's a decision that we have to come to in our life, and that is, does our life really mean anything or not? Karl Barth said that people come to church with one question on their mind, and that question is, is it true? Is it true that we have a high priest who has paid our debt before God? And if not, what are we supposed to do? There's a, uh, a playwright named Eugene Ionesco. Uh, he is the father of a, an artistic movement called Dadaism. And his play is called The Chairs. You may have heard it or seen it at some point. And it's the story of a lighthouse keeper and his wife. They live in a lighthouse. And this play is taking place as they are finally going to retire and leave the lighthouse. They haven't left for 30 years. And so, the lighthouse keeper tells everyone in the town that he has a great message for them. A message that is so important that no one should miss it. It may be the most important message they've ever heard in their lives. And so, in the play, the lighthouse keeper and his wife are talking and people begin to arrive. You don't see the people, but they are, they are shown by chairs. The lighthouse keeper or his wife just are talking to people who aren't there on stage and they set out a chair for them. And then more chairs begin to be set out. And there's this proliferation of chairs all around as more and more of these invisible people come wanting to hear this message from the lighthouse keeper. And after a while, the wife says to the husband, we don't have any more chairs. And he says, well, they're going to have to stand. They're going to have to stand if they want to hear the message. And then finally, the last person to arrive is this orator. He walks in, doesn't say anything to anybody. And the lighthouse keeper says, this is the orator. I've I've chosen him to tell you the greatest message that you've ever heard in your life. And then he and his wife turn around and jump out the window to their death. The orator steps up onto a little platform. And all of those invisible people are there. Waiting to hear the greatest message they have ever heard in their life. And the orator says, Hmm, hmm, hmm. He's mute, he can't talk. There is no great message in the philosophy of Eugene Ionesco. There is no great message in the philosophy of Albert Camus who said the only real decision that man ever has to make is whether or not to commit suicide. There's no hope, there's no great message. But if you compare that, With the thought of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, whom some have written, was in desperate need of psychiatric help. He had his problems, but he was a man who was taken by the glory of God and by the wonder of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And the greatest hymn that Martin Luther ever wrote is a hymn that we still sing today. In German it's Ein Fustenberg. In English it's a mighty fortress. And in a mighty fortress Luther says this, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dust ask who that may be. Christ Jesus it is he. And he must win the battle. We have a priest. But a better priest. A perfect priest. So the next time someone comes to you and says, I need a priest. You'll know. You'll know where to turn them. And you'll know in your own heart that the only hope that mankind has, the only hope that any of us has, is in Jesus Christ. And that life is foolish unless we have a priest. And so I'll ask you today, do you need a priest? Because I know one.